Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said he who puts his hands to the pile looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the kitchen five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you die for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep. Huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach. Huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Thank you for joining us. Hi, nice to be here. Yes, I'm so glad. You definitely have a wealth of information. I'm so glad that you could uh, come and do this show. There's so many, so many people out there in the world that um, has, you know, gone through some similar things, such as yourself, and don't know where to look, mm-hmm. don't know what to do, and don't have the strength or any support, um, you know, whatsoever that's going to help them. So hopefully after listening to the show today, people have some direction and um, some way to go, mm-hmm. some way to go to get help. Absolutely. So I guess we can start off with you uh, giving our listeners, I gave them a brief, I gave you a brief introduction about who you are. Well, I guess you could tell people a little bit more about you than I can. Well, yeah, I guess, right? (laughs) Well, it's good to be here, and I appreciate, you know, you um, reaching out to me um, because I believe that, you know, some of the 
some of the experiences that I've been through and um, some of the trauma and the struggle, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a situation that happens all around the world. And, you know, not everybody is so willing to be uh, straightforward about their situation because of, you know, whatever the situation is, it could be, you know, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, you know, um, the fear of, of judgment and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I really appreciate having the format to be able to share, you know, my experience. And um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who grew up in New York and, um, and for the most part, you know, my upbringing um, was a little chaotic. You know, family was very dysfunctional, and not only, you know, was all of those uh, things going on, but also I grew up in a time, um, well, I was born in a time where race mixing wasn't, you know, totally accepted, and not to say that it's totally accepted now, but, (laughs) you know, back then it was a big thing, and so, you know, I am, obviously, I am a mixed, um, you know, my, my mother's white and my father's black and it caused a lot of uh it caused a lot of uh i don't know how to put it separation maybe between my family because um it wasn't really you know accepted um so i got shunned a lot you know growing up on on which which side on which side was because well yeah I, I got to Yeah, the story is so long. But anyway, listen. When when I was you know you know when I was born, um, you know my mom had some mental uh, you know situations going on in her life, and um, you know I didn't know who my father was, and actually I I never knew who he was um, until maybe last year I found out like the whole entire story. But I grew up with, with my mom and her family, and you know my mom is white, so I grew up in a white setting, um, and, you know, not really being able to identify and fit in, it was very, very difficult for me because, you know, I grew up in, in this place where nothing looked like me, right? And, um, and, and, I, and you know, and it, and, it, and it really, I think, started that trajectory of me, uh, you know, trying to figure out who I was and, trying so much to fit in and be accepted, um, you know, in a time where, you know, it wasn't accepted. You know, the race thing wasn't accepted. And it wasn't accepted with some of my family, unfortunately. You know, racism, uh, is, you know, has been a, a thing in my family, and it still is. So, wow. yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was very difficult. And I think that that's, you know, where my story truly began, it was trying to find ways to to um, not feel, you know, the way I was feeling back then, you know, um, wanting so much to be a part and loving my family, you know, because they were my family, but not right. being able to get the love back that I thought that I, you know, that I, I deserved. And um, so it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was I was willing at, you know, one point in my life, I was willing to accept some of the, um, some of the, the treatment that I, that I, that I, you know, took because I just wanted them to love me, you know? So it was hard. It was difficult hearing, you know, the N word coming out of, you know, your family's mouth and, you know, in a, in a regular conversation, and you're like, you know, you're, you're there, and you're just like, you you don't know how to respond to that, like how to act, or, you know, it, it was just so awkward, you know, being in that situation. So I think that that's where a lot of my problems began. Um, I think it it really started like way back then, and um, you know, trying to, you know, not having enough love for myself because I think it got to the point for me where I hated myself so much, you know, for being who I was and not being or or looking or, you know, being accepted by that part of my life that I wanted to erase everything about me 
you know, if that makes any sense, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, it was difficult. I'm trying to, yeah, that is a difficult situation. I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and I'm thinking, um, being biracial, who would you really want to be if you're not really getting love from who you know your family is? So how would you know who you want to identify with? I guess that could be confusing. Well, it really was. And, you know, and then I think of, you know, when I got older, um, because it was so painful, you know, it became so painful. And, you know, when you're when you're young, you really can't articulate how you feel. But as I got older in my, you know, early teens, late teens, early 20s, then I started to realize and notice and understand what all it was that I was feeling. And so, you know, the pain of that uh, was so unbearable at times that I tried to find ways to not feel, you know, and of course, you know, you're young, you're hanging out, you're experimenting with all these things, you know, so I, you know, my first, the first time that I was able to experience this high, right, which kind of took me away from all that other stuff, you know, it, it immediately I became addicted, you know, and, it, it, you know, and it, you don't realize that I guess then, back then, but it was this temporary kind of fix, this temporary feel-good. And I think that I felt so bad about myself that I just wanted to feel okay. You know, I just wanted to be able to exist in my own skin. And unfortunately, drugs and alcohol, you know, helped me do that, you know, and it helped me do that, and I have to say this, it helped me do it, but it helped me do it, you know, it was it was um, a temporary kind of thing, you know, and so, of course, with, you know, with drug addiction, you know, the high never lasts forever, right? So you want to continue right. to try to continue to, to get that feeling. And so, yeah, it, it kind of just spiraled out of control. And, um, but, yeah, it just had a lot to do with, you know, um, this crisis I was going through, this identity crisis. And, unfortunately, you know, even when – and, I and listen, I grew up around – a very multi-environment. And and what was really unfortunate for me was that it was very hard to be accepted on both sides of the aisle because it, it was either I wasn't white enough or I wasn't black enough. <laughs> so, so I struggled with both sides, and um, and I got some grief from both sides, believe it or not. So, yeah, it was it was just crazy. Why don't you just hey look? Well, you're forcing us now because those whole stereotypes and change now. You in high demand now. Yeah, ain't that something? <laughs> yeah. Something. So you know, but so, yeah. Yeah. So Elizabeth, um, I can understand how how that could spiral into uh, the drug addiction because basically, when you went into it, it was a coping mechanism. And, Absolutely. And that, it was a coping mechanism which allowed you to, to, like you said, feel better with all the things that you were going through, but all the while not knowing that it was taking you down a whole nother path that you really didn't want mm. to go down. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, um, it was, oh, man, um, it was something that I will say that I always pray and wish that no one ever has to really experience. Um, and you're right, it took me down this other place where I subjected myself um, to so many other tragedies, um, you know, um, you know, I just, it opened the floodgates to, to almost, I want to say hell, <laughs> you know, and, right. and well, things I was gonna, began. I was, that was, yeah, that was taking me into my, my next question for you because, well, actually, it's a two-part question. And uh-huh. um, your, the, 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 your, the child molestation, was that prior to or during the same time you dealing with these other things? Well, the child molestation, it was, I, I was around six years old. And so, yes, yeah, so that, that was something else, too. Besides the, the uh, differences with the racism and being biracial, also, um, you know, I experienced child molestation. So, and it was a, a friend of the family, 
and um, and and I kind of I talked a little bit about it in my book. And what the unfortunate thing was about that, and I could admit it now, is that um, you know back then I'll never forget this. They used to call this man. His name was Captain Bill. I remember this right. And he used to come around and, you know, and he would make me do things. And, you know, what was so sad was that I I didn't, I don't think I had a fear back then. I don't remember being fearful, but what I do kind of remember was he was the only one that really paid attention to me, right? And so I think as a child, you know, you've got somebody who is pretending to, you know, love you and care about you and, you know, and I think that as a child, I, I looked at, I, I seen that part of it, you know, um, I knew, I think I knew in my, in somewhere inside of me, and again, I was a child, so you're really not able to articulate what you're feeling, but I knew, a part of me knew it was wrong, but then there was this other part of me that, was like, you know, sometimes happy to see this person because I never got the attention that he gave me, you know, because, again, you know, there was a racial divide in my family. And, you know, so the little bit of attention, it was like any attention was, was, was good attention, even if it was negative, right? So, you know, I, I recall that. I recall that, and how sad is that, you know? How sad is that, you know, that – um a young child, you know, that is feeling alone, you know, and I did. I felt very alone. And when somebody, unfortunately, a damn pedophile, right, you know, showed me a little bit of, and you know that's what they do, right? So they always got to bait you and, and kind of uh, groom you into liking them and, you know, trusting them. And so he did that. And so – yeah, it was just a, it was just, yeah, it was just a sad thing, sad. Do you, the second part of my question, is do do you feel like that, that, that scarred you in some way moving forward? Uh, yeah, I do, I do. Um, I think that, um, again, somewhere in me, in that little mind of mine, back then I knew that it was wrong, and it wasn't the first time because, I had uh, also been uh, molested by another family friend, and um, and it was a woman. Um, and I think that, you know, again, as I got older and I started to realize these things that had happened to me and, you know, how wrong they were, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it took me on this other, you know, journey where, you know, even that became so painful to even think about, you know, the, the, you know, being violated in that way. And I think it hit me even harder when I had my first child, you know, um, looking at my daughter and, and thinking, oh, my God, you know, it, the things that have happened to me, you know, it just made my skin, like, to think that somebody would do something like that to my own child, you know, um, really, really had a very, very bad effect on me. Yeah, it did. It did. So, what did you do? How did you? How did you? Uh, how did you deal with those emotions? Well, you know how I dealt with those things was um, by using. I mean, it was drugs and alcohol always. You know, um, alcohol became a really big issue in my life, um, and uh, and so that was my kind of, you know. Uh, Getting getting away from that feeling, it helped me forget. Not really forget. Well, it helped me to to to, to focus on other stuff and not think about that so much. But you know, again, my addiction went through different phases. It was alcohol. It was uh, it was heroin. You know, and I I just I did whatever I had to do not to feel the pain that I was feeling from all of my experiences you know, growing up. It was just too painful to sit and to really sit down with myself and think about what had been done to me, you know. Um, it, it just was. And so I, you know, I, you know, that was my out. You know, that was my out. That was my release. That was the way I did not have to deal with it. Yeah. 
Well, what what point? I guess what point? I guess my mind is all over the place now because I always right. think <laughs> I think like mm-hmm. an alien sometimes. So <laughs> That's okay. de- 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 dealing with you know the drugs and the alcohol, which actually was, I understand was brought onto by you know the other trauma that you were dealing with. But at what point did 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 you hit the brick wall and and decide that you wasn't going to do that anymore? Well, you know, it was a lot of trial trial by error, right? It was a lot of it was a lot of trying and and failing and trying because you know I had made up my mind a few times, and I think I think that I I think emotionally and mentally and physically I was really tired of doing it you know, maybe maybe 20 years ago, right? But, you know, it was so, you know, I became so accustomed to it. You know, I became so accustomed to using those things as a coping mechanism with anything that was going on in my life, right? You know, I mean, anything that I couldn't deal with, you know, that was my go-to. And I think um, almost now, well, I'm going to be coming up on 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know, something changed in me. I, I didn't want, you know, I knew at one point, and I can't even pinpoint at what point it was, but I knew that the life and the way that I was living, that it, it was just like I had to do something because I think it, you know, started to really, you know, wear on me that I was going to die in, in, in this situation. Like there was no good possible outcome that was going to happen for me if I continued. Um, however, you know, knowing it and doing something about it when you're so far in is two different things because it's not an easy, you know, journey to go on to say, you know, okay, I'm just going to deal with everything head on and I'm going to be okay with that. So, you know, I think that over time um, the drugs and alcohol stopped working. <laughs> it didn't work anymore for me. Um it actually amplified a lot of what was going on with me um, to the point where it just didn't work anymore. And so I really needed to make a decision. And, you know, and I think the only, the only decision and the only thing that I had in front of me that I was looking at at that point was it's either, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna try to live the rest of your life, you know, doing something productive and, 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 and helping yourself and healing yourself. Or the other, you know, option you have is you're going to die in this addiction. And um, and I'll never forget, it was um, August 12th of 2012. I went on a drinking binge, and, and I woke up that Saturday morning, and this is, this is a true story, and I was in a fetal position, and I, I, was, I was paralyzed, and I wanted to die. I, I just, I wanted to know, I was questioning God about why he even woke me up. And I, I it was such a scary feeling, and I, I can't get into all the details because I can't even explain what I was feeling. But, I mean, immediately I, I started praying, and I, you know, and I asked God to please because I couldn't live like that anymore. It was so, oh, my gosh, it was just so chaotic and insane and, you know, and so I just, you know, I remember that Saturday, um, it was just, I don't know, something something clicked. You know, God really stepped into my life. And, you know, and I remember making, and I've made God a lot of promises before I want to say, you know, that I was going to stop <laughs> if he just helped me to get through something, you know. Well, you say, so, you yeah, made a so, lot yeah, of promises. <laughs> yeah, you know, I did, I did. And I have to admit that I was one that always, oh, God, if you get me through this. I promise you I won't do it again. And so that was the kind of stuff that I would do. But that day was different. That day was different. And I just asked for the strength to be able to get through the feelings that I was going through in that moment of despair, of degradation, you know, of, of, of shame and, uh, you know, guilt. And so I, you know, I just, if he would get me through that, if I could just make it through, you know, I was going to do something to change. And, um, you know, lo and behold, you know, come that Monday morning, you know, I winded up going into a NA meeting 
And I have not stopped going to those meetings since this day, you know, and I never picked up another drug or another drink. And so it was, it was just one of those things that I just cannot explain, but I knew in my heart that I was ready. I was ready. And I think that that's the big thing that people need to know about addiction because, you know, I tried to, um, I tried to get clean many a times, but um, I did it because of all the wrong reasons. You know, I was doing it for other people. I was doing it, you know, to prove to other people I could do it. But all that time that I was doing those things, I really didn't want to stop, right? So it never really lasted, you know. I could do it for, you know, months, I mean, even when I was pregnant. I mean, you know, I had four kids, and I was able to stop using drugs then, you know. Um, but my problem was it wasn't really stopping. It was staying stopped for me. You know, because the moment that I had to deal with anything that was traumatic for me, I needed to have something to take me away from that. So, yeah, you know, it's a process. But I think the biggest thing about, you know, recovery is um, you got to want it, right? You have to want it. You know, that's the only way that this thing works. Um, And so, uh, you know, I tell people, you know, even – when I sponsor people, listen, I don't, and I don't, I don't judge, you know, but one of the biggest things that I ask people is what are you willing to do for your recovery, right? And, and that was the question that I had to ask myself, what am I willing to do? And, you know, it came down to I was willing to do the same thing that I did for my drugs. I was willing to go that extra mile for my recovery because, honey, I, I went through hoops to get drugs. You know, I mean, I remember being in New York City walking in blizzards <laughs> you know, to, get, wow. to get some dope, you know. And so you have to be as that motivated, you know. And so, yeah, it, it's, a pro- and it's a process. You know, it's, it's, listen, this thing doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen over time, right? We do recover, not overnight, but over time. You know, we just have to be willing to put in the work. Well, the things that you've experienced in your life, I mean, you got a wealth of experience, a wealth of uh, um, things, and people usually learn from people that have actually walked the walk and not necessarily talking the talk. I mean, but how many young ladies that I don't really know of any have gone through uh, child prostitution, a sexual assault, you know, and, and, and rape? I don't even know how to, you know, put all those things together and then come out with some semblance of uh, sanity, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely, um, but, yeah. you know, you were able, you were able to do that. And um, let's talk about your, your your book a little bit. You know, the unbreakable me still I rise because I'm seeing mm-hmm. everything you've gone through. But I'm trying to picture at what point did you decide to get into writing that book about you and your experiences? Well, yeah. So you know. It, about 10 years ago, I, you know, I wanted to, and I always, you know, would sit down and write little things that were on my mind or things that I went through or, you know, something I remembered in my past. And, um, and the book thing, you know, has been for years, you know. And, you know, I, I just never could find a way to begin this story, you know, to tell my story. And I think I struggled with that for, like, years and years and years until one day, Somebody said, listen, just write, you know, just write down what you, you know, just, just talk about your experiences. You don't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly in order because, you know, I was one of these people, I don't know where to start. and I know, But, you know, it was just be honest, you know, just say what you need to say, and then you can deal with uh, all the editing and all that other stuff later on, right? So, um, but about 10 years ago, I, I, I wanted to do it, and I, you know, I, I just couldn't bring myself to uh, write, and I got in touch, you know, I reached out to some people in New York and about a documentary because I figured, okay, well, you know, right now I'm not in the, in the place where I want to write it, so maybe I can get somebody who's interested in just telling my story, which I did, and actually, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I do have a documentary that's still in post-production right now um, about my life, and it takes me back to, I go back to New York and we kind of talk about all the things that happened, where they happened, and, you know, so on. It deals with the racism issues that went on in my family with my mother's brother 
Um, we address that in the documentary, what, you know, effects it had on my children. So they're also, they participated in it, you know, uh, sharing what their thoughts were and how they felt. So I got this documentary. Hopefully it'll be coming out maybe this year, next year. I don't know. They're still kind of working on some stuff. But that's kind of what inspired me. And, and I think that, you know, after all of that, I just sat down one day and I said, listen, I have all this stuff, you know, that I've, I've, I've written over the years. I said, so let me just start putting some of this stuff together in, in order and when it happened, how it happened, you know. And so I kind of did that and I said, you know what, let's just, let's just do it, you know, let's just, you know, put it together. And, um, and I still have so much more. You know, um, this is a short read, and it kind of talks about parts of my experiences with different things with the child prostitution um, that I found myself in, you know, you know, into at that time. And I think I might have been about 14, 15 years old um, when when that started. Um, uh, being kind of recruited into that, you know, being around older people that weren't doing, you know, the right thing. and But, um, but yeah, so I just kind of, you know, said, you know, maybe it's just time to just get it out there because, you know, I think a lot of my story and a lot of what I've been through there, well, I don't even think, I kind of know that there's so many young women out there and even men at this point that has been through these traumas and been through these things and it's so difficult to share that you know, to, to, to other people. It's just a difficult, it's not easy telling someone, you know, this happened to me. So I kind of I felt like, you know what, maybe this will inspire somebody or give somebody the courage to say, you know, you know, me too. Well, I definitely appreciate and respect the fact that you have the courage and the strength to do that because I understand that um, one of the biggest tools that the perpetrators have is to try to, um, you know, shame their victims and not talking or talking about it or telling anybody about it. And I've said several times on on this show that you know the the pedophiles they get they get jail sentences and the children mm-hmm. get life and the children get life sentences. Mm. Yes, Lord, and that is so true. That is so true. You know. Um, and you're right about that, but, you know, I think that, you know, women, and again, men too, because this is not, you know, something that just happens with women. You know, uh, you know, there are a lot of cases where this happens with men too, you know, and, um, and, and I, I, you know, I, and we, I, don't, I don't know if I hear about it as much as women, you know, but, you know, I think one of the things was for me also when I, you know, wrote this book and, I shared my experience, and I always share my experience with people, but I think what it does for me is it empowers me. It takes back my power, you know. It, it, it helps me to feel like I am in control of this situation, you know. Like you said, a lot of times they, 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 the victims are shamed into silence, you know, so to speak, or, or you know, or they're in fear of, you know, repercussions from sharing something like this. And, you know, this is the most powerful thing that I think a person who has been through something like this, some kind of a trauma like this, to do for themselves is to be able to take back their power and to say, you know, I am not going to be a victim. You know, I am not going to allow you to make me feel like a victim anymore because I – that's one of the things, too, for me that I kind of lived in for a long time was being that victim, you know, always holding that. And I was a victim, don't you know, of those circumstances. But, you know, but when you hold on to that, it stagnates you in your walk. So I had to say to myself, listen, either you're going to be a victim or you're going to be a survivor. And you're going to, you know, and you're going to step up and you're going to say what you have to say and you're going to expose the dirt and the garbage for what it is, and you're going to walk away with your head up and you're going to feel good about that, you know, because not only was I living in that shame and that guilt and that fear, but now I have, an, I have, a, I have a way that I can also put that perpetrator on the spot, 
you know? You're like, right. you're going to live in that too. You understand? You're not going to walk around here with cool hands and the freedom to do whatever it is that you do uh, and, and, and not be detected while I'm walking. You know, so it was one of those empowering, empowering moments for me where I was just able to say, you know what, the heck with it. And even with my family, because, you know, I got a little bit of grief about that, you know, what I wrote about the racism and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, people are going to disagree, and I disagreed, you know, with them. And, you know, and I had an opportunity to face them and to to share with them what they made me feel like and my experience that, you know, and the, and, and the, the, the way that they made me feel less than, like I wasn't worthy of love. And, you know, so I was able to confront my family about it too, you know. Good and I'm not going to say Good that. You. Absolutely. And, you know, and Good again, even to this day, it's like, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, and everybody's like, no, but that's not the case. But that is the case. And that's the problem. People can't admit to their crap. You understand? And, and you know, you call a spade a spade. And that's what it was. And so it gave me an opportunity to also address that, and I feel good about it, you know. And um, I must say that, you know, the relationship <laughs> hasn't, hasn't gotten any better. But, you know, for me, I feel, I feel relieved. I feel lighter. I feel, I feel, you know, victorious in this right now. Like I, you know, because I called you out. I'm letting you know that I know who you are. Like, I see you. I know who you are today, you know. And so, and that's with my own family. So, you know, we have the power. We can take back our power. And we can, there are things that, that we are capable of doing that, you know, we couldn't even imagine, you know. Um, you know, and I feel really good about that. If nothing else comes of that, I know this, that I am, my soul is clean. You know, I am free. I am free from all of that, you know, um, so that's a good feeling. That's the most important thing, that your conscience is clean, and they're the one that have to deal with that because the truth, what they say, the truth will set you free. So Absolutely. you're free. You told the truth, so that's something that they have to deal with from now on and now on and then now on some more. Okay, but, thank but, you. But, but listen, for the listeners that just joined the show, uh, you'll be able to hear it in its entirety, and okay. um, not not long. But for those that just joined the show, if you want to join us, uh, the the number is six four six nine two nine twenty eight seventy. Press number one on your phone if you have a guest or a question. I mean, I'm sorry, a question for our guest. <laughs> Press number one on your phone and let us know, and uh, we'll let you join the conversation. You know, I, I understand you taking notes, not something, and doing those type things, but you know, we all can help and do something, and I know we all know somebody is going through some of these things, so don't be afraid to press number one on your phone and ask the question if you have one. Absolutely. I'll, I'll put that one out there. So Absolutely. I could see how everything that you've dealt with have brought you to unbreakable me, still I rise, Mm-hmm. And uh, I can also see how that would open the doors for you for Our Voice Matters. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So Our Voice Matters, what I what – I oh, 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 um, Hold on one second. One, one second. One yeah. second, Elizabeth. I got someone here. They got their hand right. up. Okay. 254, you're on live. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling. I had a quick question. Um, you were talking about how you had to get motivated to focus on recovery and get that going. And so my question is, for people who don't know what that means, what would you recommend for them to get motivated or recognize something within them to Start feeling that way. Okay, is that a question for me? I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well. Well, no. What I said was, and I don't think motivating is is a good. I think what I said was, um, you have to want recovery, um, and 
And I think when it comes down to the recovery process, there's a, there's a spiritual element that goes with that, right? So as individuals, we're all different, right? We're all different. We all go through, you know, whatever we go through, and we all have our limits. Um, so I think this thing is more, and I, and I think for me, it was more of a very, very personal decision. Um, I mean, I don't know if motivation, because I was motivated to, to do, I, I mean, I wanted to, I didn't want to use drugs, right? I didn't want to, you know, put, have, you know, be in that position that I was in. Um, and I was always, I always had that motivation to stop. The, the problem was I didn't have the will. I didn't have the will, um, and I didn't know, you know, exactly how to do it. And so, you know, for me, it took some trial and error, you know. Um, it took me, because, again, I tried to, you know, uh, recover, you know, prior to, you know, me being in recovery now. You know, I went through a process. I went through, um, you know, one of the recovery houses and, stuff like that and, and, and it took it took a lot for me because um my addiction was stronger for me than it than than me wanting to recover. So you know, it really depends on an individual, um, you know, and what they want because only they know when they're when they're truly ready to stop. You know, um and I yeah, so I mean as far as motivation, I mean there's meetings that people can go to um, and everybody's welcome to go. You know, we have group meetings, you know, everywhere in the world today, and, and that could be something that could inspire someone. Um, but yeah. Did you have I, children yes. doing? Did you have children already doing this, Elizabeth? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, were you trying to raise kids while you were going through the addiction, or you had kids after oh. that? No, I had kids uh, and, and when I was in my addiction. You know, I think for me, and again, that's why I say there was a point in my life where, okay, even when I had my children and I was pregnant, like I was able to stop using, right? But the minute I had my children and, and you know, and, and things went back, you know, a little to normal for me, I went back out on that binge again. Um, so I, I was very well aware of, of the the. the the damage, you know, that I was doing. I was, I was aware of the severity of what I was doing. Um, and, 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 again, it wasn't the stopping. And, and I always tell people this in addiction. It's not the stopping about, you know, stopping the drugs, stop using, because we can all stop using anytime we want. And nobody has to use dope. And, like, I went, I went months, sometimes years, without using anything. And then I went back. But we don't focus on the stopping. We focus on the stay stopping because that was my issue. I could stop for a period of time, but I couldn't stay totally abstinent from drugs and alcohol, you know. Um, and I always picked up where I left off. So I think it's really a personal decision. I, I just I got to say that because everybody I know was in recovery. It was always a bottom and a personal experience for them that brought them to that place where they surrendered and said, okay, now I'm ready and I'm willing. Because, we you know, we hear a lot Thank about you. people that suffering from addiction. They stop because man, something traumatic happened in their, in their life. Either they have uh, a, a really serious accident and they make a decision mm -hmm. uh, to stop or uh, or they're tired of being oh. resuscitated and they decide mm -hmm. to stop or, mm -hmm. or, or they find religion and they decide to stop. Or, matter mm -hmm. of fact, even their family, their kids, they decide, well, you know, that's they use their children, for instance, as a motivating thing to, to right. kick it. So, well, I did that um, too. But, yeah, and, you know, that's the funny thing about addiction is very cunning, you know, and very baffling, right? And, um, and I can tell you from experience and from people that I know that, um, and I know a lot of people in recovery today, that will tell you that none of those things were enough for them, you know, to stay, you know, away from using drugs or the use of drugs. 
Um, and I, I have that experience too. You know, when you're stopping, when you're trying to recover for the wrong reasons, it doesn't work. And I'm not saying your kids are not, you know, they're the wrong reasons, but it has to be something that's personal in you because, listen, I had kids. I had a mother. I had a family. I had people that cared. I have friends that cared about me that really, you know, wanted, you know, were, were you know, I had their best, they had my best interest. They wanted me to get help. They want, but none of those things was convincing to me, right? It was something in me that happened that, that just, you know, that light bulb went on one day and it was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, and I think for me, it was, it was literally a life and death thing. You know, I kind of, those were the two options that I was left with at the end of my road, right? But again, I have to emphasize that everybody's, you know, end of their road or everybody's bottom is different, right? Because it can right. take something like a jail sentence for somebody to say, you know what, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. So every individual is different, you know, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there, you know. There. It doesn't matter what was the, 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 the main factor and why you stop. It, it, it's the, the main thing is that you stop, right? So we kind of look at, you know, it don't matter how you got here. It doesn't matter how you got in recovery, whether it was, you know, you know, you had an accident or, you know, you went to jail or, you know, you were resuscitated. You know, there's, there has to be something that, that, there has to be that, that, that light bulb that turns on inside your spirit, you know, because at the end of the day, we all know this. If we don't know anything else, this is what we do know, is that the only place that drugs is going to lead you is jails, institutions, or death. We, we definitely know that. So those are the only three places that you can go when you're in addiction. And drugs always win. Oh, listen, they do if you let it. You know, they yeah. do if you let it. I mean, we do. Well, I was, you know, I was it, referring to the people that, that do drugs a lot casually, and they always say, well, I can stop whenever I want, you know, because oh, yeah, I'm controlling this. I'm in control. You know, listen, I'm in control of this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, listen, that is the biggest lie that drugs can tell you, you know, just like alcohol. That's that's a lie, you know. That's a lie that we tell ourselves, you know, to justify and rationalize our most outrageous behaviors while we're under the influence <laughs> of those things, you know. So we'll tell ourselves anything, you know, and, yeah, that's a lie, you know. And I used to yeah, tell I know. people, listen, yeah. yeah, if you find yourself, listen, if, and I used to tell, I, there was a friend of mine, right, that every time they drank, they winded up in jail, in an accident. And, I, you know, one day I said, you know, I said, did you ever think that maybe, you know, you drinking might be the, 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 the problem? No, that's not. I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, every time you winded up in jail or winded up in a car accident, what were you doing? Right? And you know what? I was drinking. <laughs> and I'm like, but that well, wasn't the reason. The but that wasn't the reason somebody ran out in front of me. That wasn't the reason. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, you know, the common denominator in that is what? The alcohol, right? And you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. But we will. We will. Listen, an addict, one of, one of the things I always say is an addict, we are very, we are very manipulative, right? And we come up with these stories that I, I could remember, I could sit down even today and think of some of the stories I came up with, you know, the lies. And I was like, wow. And when I think about them now, I'm like, oh, my God, I said that. Like, <laughs> and I knew people didn't believe me, you know, but I said it anyway, right? Um, yeah, so this thing here is something fierce, you know. Um, and we will do any, you know, a person who is in an active addiction, Listen, and I tell people this, and I know they don't want to hear it, but I tell them, listen, there's people in active addiction, they will rob their own mama, okay? That, that's a true story. They will, they will rob you, and they will, I don't care if your family, your kids, they will take from their kids. That's how bad this stuff is, you know? 
Um, and not saying it's the person itself, because I got to say that when you see a person who's in addiction and who's out there and you be looking at them and they're like, oh, my God, these people are off the train. They're crazy. They're robbing. They're just... Listen, please understand that that's not who you're really – you're not really seeing that person. You're seeing the monster that, that, that drugs and alcohol create, you know, because most of these people that, that, that are, are, are in this situation are really decent people. Like, you know, they're really good people. They just have this disease, and it is a disease. It is a I disease. Had a brother, I had a brother going through that at one period of time, but I had to whoop both their asses. The, oh, yeah. The, 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 oh, the, yeah. The real person at the monster at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, and that's the thing, hey, you know. I had to get like, both of them to make sure I got the right one. <laughs> okay, I know that's right, because that's what happens. You know, we turn into these things, like, you know, I mean, and I say things because when I look back at some of the things that I had done in my active addiction, and I, you know, and I used to struggle with that, too, until somebody really helped me to understand that, listen, you have to understand that that wasn't you. You know, that's not the person you are today. Would you do that today? And that was the question that was posed to me. The things that you did back then, would you, you know, on, when you were using drugs and alcohol, would you do that today in the place that you're in today? And I look at them like, hell no. <laughs> I would never even think about doing something like that, you know. So, you know, I had to really look at and understand, you know, what it was that I was going through because, you know, even when we get clean and sober, we can still uh, suffer from the shame and the remorse and the guilt that we've done, you know, while we were in that state. And so I had to kind of rid myself of some of that to say, listen, you know what, I really was not responsible you know, I really wasn't in my right mind, and I know I wasn't because, cause like I said, there is no way that I would have done any of those things right now today, the person that I am today. There's no way. Right. I, first of all, I'm too, I would be too afraid, right? <laughs> so, so, but, you know, that thing is a beast, you know. It, it brings out that peace in a person that, you know, we don't ever want to see. <laughs> so. So yeah, it's 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 horrible. Yeah. Well, the blessing is you was able to survive, and you're able to help some others that uh, that that are lacking the ability and the strength that you've had, you know, to pull yourself up to do what you're doing now. So, hey, that's yeah. Well, you know, I think the key is for me, and I and this is what I try to give to other people is, you know, you have to dig. Deep, you know, you have to sometimes go backwards in order to go forward, right? So, you know, even dealing with these young folks, you know, we have to be able to give them permission and and give them the 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 what could I say the security and 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 without judgment, we have to be able to open allow them to open themselves up to us without fear of appraisal, you know, without any of that stuff. Because some of these young folks, you know, have gone through and are going through the same things that I've been through in my life, right, and, and, and are afraid to share those, those, those dirty little secrets, you know, those secrets that keep us hostage, right, that, that, that we are, you know, that we're afraid of how people are going to look at us or talk about us. We have to get these, you know, and my thing is, is I think by telling my story to other people, give them permission, right, to tell theirs, you know, without being judged, without being looked at like, you know, they're from another planet, because, you know, they do get that sometimes. So when I share, you know, my story about being molested or being raped or whatever the situation, you know, has occurred in my life, you know, I always find one or two that will turn around and, and pull me over and say, you know what, Miss Elizabeth, that happened to me too, you know, but I've never told anyone. You know what I'm saying? So, you, you know, so it, it's, there's power in words and there's power in sharing, you know, these stories, you know, because it gives people the courage, you know, the inspiration, the permission to, to free themselves 
you know, without all that other stuff that, they, that they're thinking about. You know, what, what are people going to think? Or should I say it? Or, you know, afraid of, you know, somebody else going back and confronting. Because I always tell these kids, too, listen, it's your choice whether you want to address it the way you want to address it, right? Because when, I, when somebody tells me something in confidence, it's in confidence. You know, I don't cross any boundaries when people are sharing, especially kids, right? It's, it, you know, you have to give them the power to be able to do it themselves. You know, you give them the support. You give them whatever it is that they need to get through that, that hurdle, Right. But when, I, when someone tells me something, until they're ready to share it with someone else, you know, it goes no further. And I believe that, that you have to build that kind of trust, you know, with these children, too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, this is, this is a powerful, powerful uh, thing that we're talking about when it comes to, but, you know, again, you have these kids that are coming from homes like mine with addictive parents with parents that are out there, they're smoking grass, they're doing all this stuff. These kids don't know how to react. And, and I'll tell you another thing. When I look at the juvenile justice system, it's very painful to see how these kids are put in these places, right, as an alternative because, you know, the, the thing is is that these are bad kids. They're out of control of this. But what I know is this, is that when I was that age, it wasn't that I was a bad kid, but I was, the only thing I was trying to do was survive. Okay, that was the way that that was my survival mechanism, you know, and so we have to learn how to distinguish when these kids are in survival mode or if they're just really just bad kids, you know, Right. <laughs> and, and most of the time they're in survival mode. And then most of the time it's not bad kids, it's bad parents. It's bad parenting, and it, but it's also, again, they're trying to survive their environment, Right. So if you have right. a parent, they're coming from a home where there's no food, there's no this, they're not getting the, the things that they need to go to school, what are they going to do? They're going to go out there and rob, right? They're going to go out, they're going to try to get whatever they got to get. And unfortunately, those are the ways that some of them do it, right? But it doesn't make them better. Listen, they're trying to survive. They're, they're trying to eat. They're trying, you know, they're trying to live. And so we have to look at that, you know. It's not these are just bad kids. Listen, kids are not born bad, you know. They're put in situations where they have to choose whether they're going to survive and, and, and try to have some kind of something or they're just going to be, you know, whatever, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's just a sad situation, but this is, this is what's happening. Yeah, but we're going to keep plugging away, and we're going to keep talking about it, and we're going to keep turning the light on those people so eventually everybody Absolutely. can see. Well, Elizabeth, quickly, um, we're down to the last couple of minutes. Tell everybody where they can go get your book and how they can get in okay. contact with you. Okay, well, yeah, my book right now, um, okay, so now we're out of stock on my book. book. I have the, um, the e-books on Amazon, um, but they are on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Goodreads, um, and also, uh, if anybody needs to get in touch with me, um, they can always reach out to me through my email, which is rvoicematters001 at gmail.com, or you can just go on my Facebook. <laughs> it's Elizabeth Graybill, and, um, because I do a lot of responding on Facebook as well, so... We appreciate you, Elizabeth. You gave our listeners a whole lot to listen to. And everybody, go support Miss Elizabeth Gray Bill. And and like I was saying earlier, uh, the show will be available in like one minute worldwide. So if you have problems finding the show, which you shouldn't have any problems finding the show. And as I like to remind you to ask your mother, ask your daddy, ask the man across the street, to ask the guy at the gas station, the milkman, the mailman, somebody should be able to tell you where to get the show so you don't have no excuse. There you go. I like that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, uh, Elizabeth, for joining us, and we're going to continue pushing the message out there and continue the good work and continue doing what you're doing, and we will continue to support you on my end. Thank you um, so much. 
you got some new people on the West Coast pushing for you. Well, I appreciate you so much, and thank you for, you know, giving me an opportunity to share. And uh, it's been really a great experience. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. It's been fun. Everybody, thank you. we'll see you guys next week, uh, same time, 2.30 uh, PST. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it will get the show at again because you already know that. So see you guys next week. Be safe. And uh, be conscious of everything that you do because every action has a reaction. You know what I mean? All right. Take care. See you guys next. Bye-bye. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.